Hello and welcome to episode 159 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler. Joined today with three Ps. First up, Pete DeMeo. Hey, 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 everybody. Pete, are you excited? Don't say why, but are you excited? Oh, I'm excited. And my next P is Phil Fariska. Welcome back, everybody. And my final P is a return of a surprise guest. Long time we've been fans of his. Um, not so sure if that's reciprocated. Maybe he'll make something up. But it's Tim <laughs> Peter, everybody, from the Thinks Out Loud podcast. Hey, Tim. Hey, everybody. Thank, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And long-time listener, long-time fan, long-time caller, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, we, as you know, are huge fans of yours and your podcast. It, it is the opposite of ours in every way. It has wit. <laughs> it is short. It is to the point, and it, it has a lot of value. So we, we are big fans, and hopefully some of our audience will jump over and check out Thinks Out Loud with Tim Peter anywhere you listen to podcasts because it is really – one of the most valuable shows I listen to out of all the podcasts, I say that in all sincerity, because you have this really uncanny knack, Tim, of breaking down all the components of something really complex in in telling it in a way that's so succinct and meaningful that it just makes sense. And so it's it's a gift from the gods or something you've practiced for many, many years. I'm not sure which, but either way, oh. you're really, really good at it. Thanks very, much. Thanks very much. That's very kind of you. I I always look at it as if I can understand it, then anybody can. So I just try to make sure it's something I can understand to start with, and then we go from there. So we think you're a genius. We think you're like boiling this down into this simple form, but it's literally that's that's how you get to wrap your head around it. Again, uh, I'm just trying to make it idiot proof, and I am the I'm the idiot in chief. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Well, that's what we're going to be doing today. So Tim, you are famous. For your quotes, like you, you have these most tweetable phrases, <laughs> and you and you say them often because they're so relevant and meaningful to a lot of people. So today we're going to go through seven of those. And I will say this: this is a, an episode that has been a long time coming. We literally were going to record the first iteration of this uh, episode back in mid March, if you remember, and we we had boiled it down from about I think thirty quotes to about ten. Yeah. And then I don't know if you heard about this, people listening, but this thing called coronavirus hit and <laughs> kind of flipped us all for a loop. And so we decided literally, I think it was maybe a, two days before recording, hey, we need to call yeah. an audible on this and do something different. So that was the yeah. first episode back, I want to say on March 20th, we recorded that. So about four months ago. And yeah, holy cow, right. yeah. it's, it's, the world's changed a little bit since then. But, a little um, bit. <laughs> But the, the good thing is a lot of your sage wisdom that was in these show notes that we produced back then is still very relevant. And we're going to try, try to tie it in with some, some coronavirus-related um, context as well. But I think these are just age-old um, pearls of wisdom that we're going to go through today. And, Tim, I, I don't know if you listened to last week's show or not. If, if folks stay tuned till the end of this show... We're going to have a follow-up from last week's episode where we got into the probably the biggest raging debate that's ever happened on this show, and that was about marmalades, jams, jellies, uh, chutneys, compotes, I mean, you name preserves, you name it. <laughs> Fruit-based deliciousness was discussed and debated 
and we honestly sounded foolish when I listened back to it because we didn't have a clue. So we we have a correction, a couple of corrections to make, and we, if you have been worrying and concerned about the most important thing going on right now, which is what is the difference between jam and jelly, stay tuned till the end, and we're going to reveal that for you yeah. guys. If, if we sit you down the wrong path for your bread spreading, we, uh, we're we going to make it right at the end. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I mean, By the way, I, I, I am thinking of renaming my podcast after this to Fruit-Based Deliciousness. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good band name, I think. Tim. It really would, actually. That would yeah. be great. <laughs> so speaking of bands, Tim, I know you're a musician. Do you want to give the, the, the uh, Newsaroo jingle a, a, a try? Or do you want to let Pete, the professional, do oh, it this I'm gonna time? Let, I'm gonna leave maybe it to next the time you can do it. I'm going to leave it to the professionals. I'll, right. I'll find somebody to take this off my plate at one day. So right. Anyway, here we All go. Right, Pete, over to you, buddy. With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news or ruse. Oh, it's the good old-fashioned. Just the good old normal nice. one. Yeah. So, Pete, there was there was a challenge thrown down in the last episode. Melissa did the jingle because you weren't here, and she's not here today. Um, <laughs> but she hung on to... One of the notes, just just a beat longer than you do, just to show you that she's capable of that. And I don't know, that gauntlet was thrown. And you better it's be, ready. be interesting. I think she's she's gunning for you, buddy. But Phil, do we have some news around today? We do. So uh, Google is dipping deeper into your pockets. Um, <laughs> so they're now offering an upgraded Google My Business profile for fifty dollars a month. Um, Essentially, what this does is gives you a little Google guaranteed check mark within your uh, within a local pack. So it would it would show up right underneath your hotel's brand name or business's brand name. Um, I don't know that hotels will be the first one to jump into this. Probably not. But as with everything, I, I'm sure eventually it'll make its way to our industry. But yeah, it's going to cost what, about six hundred bucks a year and. And uh, you're just going to get a little check mark in, in your local pack that says Google knows who you are. Yeah. So, I mean, it's important to note, one, it, it is not available to hotels yet. And we're not sure if and when it, it will be. It may be like the, the posts, um, which still haven't been made available to hotels. But if you're a restaurant, something like that, if you have a restaurant, then you can certainly look at doing it for your other ancillary businesses. But uh, this is this is, I think, an indication of something that is yet to come and, and I know Tim is probably going to rant on this in a second but he and I have both <laughs> been prophesizing for quite some time that Google is going to destroy us all starting with the OTAs and uh, they've been quiet and you know what probably for them the coronavirus could have been the best thing that could happen to them because I think there was a lot of built up momentum kind of an anti Google sentiment that was beginning to bubble up and in, in no one's talking about it anymore, but they haven't lost control during coronavirus. They've actually gained more control, gained more market share as other entities have kind of lost some of their control. You look at like the OTAs pulling back significantly. That plays into Google's hands. You look at the hotels that have gone more into things like meta search on Google hotel ads. It, it, this is this is really scary to me in the long term. I mean, one day, not too long from now, we're going to be coronavirus is going to be a thing of the past, and we're going to be back focused on the real things in front of us that aren't distracting us. And and I think Google is one of those things that we're going to be like, oh crap, we should have seen this coming. 
because it, it, they've been slowly building to this where they get more and more control in their walled garden. We become more reliant on them for all of our business. And we're going to end up replacing, if we're not careful, the duopoly of booking and Expedia with a monopoly of, of Google. I don't know, uh, Tim, if you have any thoughts on that. No, I, I completely agree. I, I wrote a piece for Hotel News Now last year uh, that I did an updated version of this year that uh, before all of the coronavirus situation started, where I referred to them as the single biggest uh, distribution threat slash you know, opportunity uh, for the year. And this is a perfect example. I mean, right now they're charging 600 bucks a year to get this little check mark. And if you think about it, at some point, everyone who appears there is going to have to have that check mark, or else, you know, it's going to be you're going to look not as good as the other folks who appear there. So really, it's it's kind of like the Expedia um, revenue accelerator program that they launched a couple years ago, where mm -hmm. you know, if you were the only person in your market who was doing it, it was a win. If everybody in the market was doing it, it just cost you more to do what you were doing in mm -hmm. the first place. And that's what I fear we're going to see here. You know, if you're the only one with the little green check mark, you're going to be great. Once everybody starts doing it, now you're all just paying 600 bucks a year for something you used to get for free. Yeah, yeah. and this is also a place where you know the big person is going to you know get hurt by this is going to be Yelp. I mean, for the longest time, oh, yeah. <laughs> they were that local listing type type platform, and they've slowly been becoming less and less relevant as you know Google listing local listings have gotten better. But at this point now you have a choice of where you spend your money. And a lot of times I'm already seeing where Google's a better buy than Yelp is. Yelp oftentimes does a lot of nickel and diming of you. And if you can pay 600 bucks a year to Google and have good trackable revenue, then Yelp's going to have a, a, a big hill to climb to, to get back where they were. Yeah. I see this, um, Maybe maybe not affecting hotels as much as I see this affecting the vacation rental industry, and the and the one off vacation rentals. The not maybe maybe not your VRBO and, and Airbnb, but um, you know just the the smaller smaller businesses that do it to get that verified check mark, and then you have the the shadier businesses that may not get this check mark. I mean, it could be a good thing for that industry, but again, I think they're they're going to run into a similar issue of do you, you know, everybody's going to have the check mark. So, yeah, this is a backdoor way to me, you know, it's a backdoor way to Tim and your point that, uh, to, to monetize something that's been free up until now, because at some point it's going to be ubiquitous. Everyone's going to want it. And what Google didn't want to do and what the fear was they were going to do is start charging for stuff you already had or you already could do within Google My Business or, or, you know, change it to a freemium kind of a, a play, which is sort of what they're doing. But eventually what we are, are going to be doing is paying regardless, and then they're going to be adding stuff. So I think what's going to happen now is any new features that start rolling out are going to be bundled with this $50 a month thing. You know, it's not just going to stop at being a Google guaranteed checkmark. I think they're looking longer term than this to get everyone you know, starting on a small drug, but then ultimately on a drug that they can't can't afford to get off of. So we we got to be careful here. I mean, I I would say resistance is probably futile, um, but <laughs> the, this the, the I would try to resist it as much as you can. One, there's no data yet that says that this has any impact. There's no no 
information out there that says your click-through rate is going to go up. They certainly have said it's not going to affect ranking or visibility. So the only thing it could affect is, is click-through rate, which indirectly could affect those things. But there's no data yet. It's too new. So I, I would say don't don't just see a headline and jump on it because it's Google. Because as we know in the past, Google have done a lot of things that, that haven't panned out so well. You know, <laughs> Looking back in their history, they... Google Plus and, and, and Wave and there's there's a bunch and now there's even speculation with their recent announcements of their upcoming 2021 um, updates to the search engines that really AMP is AMP accelerated mobile pages is something that's going to get um, put to, to dust as well because they're, they're really not focused on that anymore they're just focused on page usability and things like that page experience is the algorithm update they're talking about rolling out next year so um, I don't back it just because it's Google, and and I would argue there's probably an incentive not to do that. And in hearing us say Google is going to destroy us all, and it's probably true. Well, what can you as a hotelier do about it now? Well, I would say go and diversify your 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 sources of traffic as much as possible. Be be participating in local chambers and CVBs, other portal sites. Definitely invest in Meta across multiple channels, including Microsoft and TripAdvisor. Try to get a mixed portfolio as much as you can, but also be building your own data. In, in one of Tim's famous, famous quotes that we're going to be mentioning in a, in a moment when we can come back to this, really focuses on how important your own data is of your customers and how you can leverage that to your advantage because no one else has it. So, you know, one thing on the the GMB profile story, I know you said not necessary to back it right away, but in the amount of time that we've talked about it right now, from a billable hours perspective, it would have been worth just launching a one month test. And, and I think that's Google's really coming in with a sweet spot on the price because for 50 bucks, a lot of businesses would just throw the money at it. And yeah. what's the worst that can happen, right? And I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if we're all going to be assimilated, do you want to take advantage of that first mover opportunity and go ahead and get out there? Because having that check mark, I can't think it's going all it's going to do is help from a click perspective, depending on what market you're in. Spending 50 bucks to get even a single sale could be a phenomenal opportunity for you. Well, I just hope they they do it right, because. You know, I almost I almost made a purchase on a scam site the other day just because it looked really good and it's about half the price. I was looking for an office chair, and this thing was half the price of you know what I was seeing on other sites and you know beautiful website whatever. And I was just like, this is too good to be true. So I googled the site plus scam. Turns out that it was, but that's the type of stuff that I hope that this check mark eventually uh, weeds out. But we'll see. Yeah, the other thing I would add to that is I would watch, you know, it's 50 bucks a month today, but anytime somebody controls the gate and controls access to the customer, don't be surprised when they start charging you higher mm -hmm. and higher tolls on that gate. So it's 50 bucks a month today, but it could be, you know, 100 bucks a month or 150 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month once everybody in your market starts to do it. So just be conscious of that. You know, I always approach these things, <laughs> I always say you should approach them the way a male Black Widow spider approaches a female black widow spider you know there's probably some <laughs> upside there but you might end up with your head getting ripped off at the end of the deal you know so just be <laughs> conscious of that and think about you know how you want to enter into this equation appropriately for your business right? 
That was a free quote that we don't have on the list. <laughs> yes. We'll yeah, we're going to have to change it to eight quotes instead of seven. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so let's jump into the, the topic at hand, seeing as you teased it so so well there with your, your the ability to create these analogies and these one-liners, these zingers. So this this first one, it really encapsulates. If you go back and listen to episode 135, that we did at the podcast, which was right before we were meant to record the episode with Tim, we were talking about Google is going to destroy us all, starting with the OTAs. That was episode 135. And um, the advice we gave in that episode, which we kind of touched on a little bit there, but this, this I think, is one of the most valuable pieces of advice you give, Tim. And I, I've seen you give full presentations on just this one piece of advice so let's jump into it with number one, 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 one. <laughs> so number one is content is king, customer experience is queen, and data is the crown jewels. All right. So you want to unpack that for us and what that means? Yeah, sure. Sure, certainly. So basically, content is the most important thing you have to engage with your customer. You know, we always talk about the website as your 24 by 7 by 365 salesperson. But it's not really the website that does the selling. It's really your content that does the selling. Um, it is the thing, you know, I always tell people focus on the painting, not the frame, right? And the content is that painting that brings people in and answers the questions that they have and causes them to say, yes, this is a property I want to, I want to be, uh, I want to stay at. This is a destination that I want to go to. It's really where you need to put your emphasis because you need to make sure your content is doing a good job being a good salesperson for your property. The reason the customer experience is queen, of course, is because if I've read content, if I'm the guest and you've got this great content and you've told me a great story and you get me really engaged, but you make it hard for me to figure out how to book or to find the rate that I'm looking for or to find the dates that are available when I want to travel, I'm going to bounce to someplace else. I'm going to go over to an OTA and see if I can book it there. And the problem with an OTA is not just that you will pay more for the reservation, but it's also where your competition lives. It's once I've gone to the OTA as a guest, the, the biggest threat to you as a hotelier is not that I'm going to choose your hotel and you're going to pay a higher rate. The, the biggest threat is that I, as the guest, may choose another hotel altogether. So once you have them on your site, once you have them on your mobile site, once you have them engaged with your content, you need to create a great experience that encourages them to book. And of course, lastly, data is the crown jewels is really about understanding who that guest is, building your own database, building your own connection with these folks so that as gatekeepers, like we just talked about in the opening with Google, you know, putting tolls on the road between you and the customer, you want to talk to them directly. You want to have an understanding of who these people are. You want to have an understanding of what's important to them. You want to be able to talk to them directly. And of course, you want to understand more about them to understand what kind of content is most appealing to them so that you can create ever more relevant content and make this into a virtuous cycle. So that's really what that's all about. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, and it's a good reminder, having it in that kind of short, snackable Oh, that's a that's foreshadowing <laughs> format makes Spoiler it alert. really <laughs> makes it really easy to remind yourself of where you should be focused. Those three things are, are probably the most critical three components or pillars of your marketing strategy. Um, always have been and probably always will be in some form or fashion. Now the medium and the channels might evolve over time, 
But if you go back to the very beginning of business, those those three things are, are as true now as they've ever been. So this is something that won't won't change. And we did an episode a long time ago based on the concept of instead of focusing on the things that will change, you focus on the things that won't change in order to create a great framework for a business. And this certainly is one of those things will, that will never change. Yeah, I've been doing I've been doing digital for 25 years, which is a staggering thing to say out loud. But this has been true again and again and again. I mean, this we always come back to this. People say content is king is kind of a cliche these days. Well, there's a reason why it's a cliche. It's because it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you know the the first two people get right. It's it's that third one. The data is the <laughs> crown jewels that I think is often overlooked. I, I don't think people give their own knowledge and. And, and, and they don't the, the value it deserves and they don't glean the insight that they could that would help them be a better business operator. And, and so especially now when we've got what, what is inevitably going to happen is more consolidation, more control for the big guys after this, as we probably head into to a recession for, for a little while, I think it's it's imperative that we understand our customer because not only are we going to be more beholden to these these other folks but there's going to be a lot more competition and we we've talked about how as as hotel marketers we've got to switch our mindset from gatherers to hunters and how we've all got to become predators and go out and, and look for our customers very aggressively while other competition is going to be doing it as well this this data that you collect that's that's everything from the email addresses to the reason people travel to when they travel to what they're booking to what pages they're looking at on your website to the satisfaction surveys to to the reviews on TripAdvisor every every piece of information that you can gather on your guests is an opportunity for you to learn something to improve something or to, or to leverage that information to do a better job than your competition so your data is critical and you just mentioned that if we are heading into a recession, which a lot of people are, are suggesting is the case, your marketing budget is going to be limited. And what that means is you need to start relying on your owned assets as much as possible. As you can see, Google's already looking to charge $50 more per month. But as your competitors start spending that, as you have to pay more for if it's TripAdvisor, if it's a PPC campaign or whatever it might be, if you can retreat to an extent and really focus on the data that you have and getting those repeat guests. And we say it a lot is the first time you start marketing the next day to a guest is when they're on your property. So, you know, using that to your fullest to one, understand who your guest is, market to them effectively, and then create the content that your data suggests that they want to see. Cause all that's going to lead to lower marketing costs in the future. And we may want to keep some of our powder dry if, if we are heading into this recession. Yeah, well, I'm, oh, sorry, I go ahead, Phil, this, please. Sorry, I, I, I look at this as, you know, number two being just as important as number three. So the customer experience and the data. If you're not providing the customer experience, the data is worthless. So the customer has to want to come back. So providing that great experience while they're staying with you, you know, is the reason why you can invite them back with the data you gathered. Yeah, I would absolutely, I would absolutely agree with that. You know, I always do a very simple math problem here. If you're a hundred room hotel, you run at traditionally, you know, 60% occupancy, you typically have about one and a half guests in your property per night, that uh, per room rather, excuse me, per, per uh, stay, that gives you about 31,000 people who are staying in your hotel every single year. Those 31,000 people have 
on average about 200 Facebook friends, right? And that's before we talk about any place else on social media. That means you're talking to a potential addressable audience of a couple of million people, about 6 million folks, right? Okay, let's say you can only talk to 10% of those. Let's say you can only talk to 5% of those. That's 300,000 people you have the opportunity to actually talk to every year. That's mm -hmm. huge, and that's data that you have, and it's based on them telling a great story about their stay at your property because they had a great experience while they were there. Yeah, and that, that's why tools like, and we talk about them a lot on the show, but I know you're a fan of them too, but Flip2, which allows oh, you sure. to collect new data from your guests that you maybe didn't collect before. That not only gives you an insight, but also you can be leveraged to influence other people. You know, Flip2 Flip allows you to collect testimonials or stories from from your guests and then gamifies that in a way that encourages and incentivizes them to to tell that story to, to everyone that, that's following and amplifies the brand. So it's really good. So let's put this one into context uh, a little bit from a coronavirus perspective. And I think, you know, one of the things that this is good for right now, especially is everyone's struggling with what to do, right? We know that the playbook from last year is no longer relevant. And it, it's as if, We've been taken off in a rocket ship and we've just landed on a new planet in the hotel that we're marketing today. We're having to market to a completely new audience that's completely foreign to us. And the product that we're, we're marketing is completely different because people see it differently. The location is different. Everything's different. So what we did last year no longer applies. We're in a completely different planet today. But having said that, although the the, the individual tactical things that we did are going to have to change the strategy of focusing on content being king customer experience being queen and and data being the crown jewels is the foundation of a solid strategy regardless of your situation so this needs to be what you turn back to the fundamentals of marketing that's going to be what gets you through this yeah, if I can add one quick thing to that, you know, uh, before we move on, what I would say is right now we know guests are spending time looking at places they may want to go when they feel comfortable to travel again. That is absolutely a behavior we see a lot of. Uh, if you talk to many hotels and many folks in the travel industry, they they will tell you we're seeing traffic maybe not at all-time highs, but traffic hasn't fallen near as far as sales have. These are folks who have questions. These are folks who have, you know, interest. These are folks who have desire to travel when they feel safe to. And if you're not answering their questions now, you're losing that opportunity when they're ready to travel again. And that's where your content really can come into play and understanding how do you give them the right experience and how do you understand the data that you can use to tell them a better story when they're ready. Genius. All of that, we just talked for like 10 minutes on that one and, and it's one single tweetable statement. This is this is the beauty of Tim Peter right there. <laughs> All right, th this next one I'm I, I blushing do over here by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this, this this next one is is probably the one you use more than any and it is certainly the one I've stolen more than any of the other ones because I think it perfectly sums up a lot of the a lot of things. Like anytime there's an innovation of any kind or a new technology and you you're you're very um I think it's credited to you a lot, but it wasn't yours originally. So do you want to give us the, the, the second one and then give us the original source of it? 
and then I sure do. So uh, I'm actually going to start with the original source. There's a guy named uh, Paul Virilio, who is a French philosopher. And I want to be fair. I don't want to spend a lot of my time <laughs> walking around quoting French philosophers. But he, he hit the nail on the head with this one, which is, he said, when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck. You know, any time that we have something that's got positives to it, there are going to be some downsides to it. In an ideal world, the positives are going to way outweigh the the downsides, right? The Ideally, the benefit of the ship is going to outweigh the downsides of the shipwreck. But just like we were talking about with the Google My Business thing, is that a ship or is that a shipwreck waiting to happen? So we need to look at those things from both sides and say, where is our opportunity and what are the risks and how do we make sure we offset those appropriately? Yeah, the unforeseen consequences. So, so yeah. in researching that quote before the show today, I looked at his Wikipedia page because I was like, I, you know what? I, I don't know if Paul Virilio is still alive or he's like he's from the 15th century. I didn't know. So <laughs> I went on his Wikipedia page. So he, he was born in the early like 1923 and he, he's actually still alive. I didn't realize that. But I actually yeah. saw the full quote of this, which was interesting oh, yeah. in, in the context <laughs> yeah. of it. So he goes on to say, you know, when you invent the shipwreck, ship, you invent the shipwreck. When you invent the plane, you invent the plane crash. And when you invent electricity, you invent electrocution. So yeah. it was, you know, it, it, and it was written in a way, I was reading up on this guy a little bit and he he's kind of like an anti-technologist in a way or, or yeah. like a, someone that warns people against just going head on into technology without thinking about the consequences, which is probably we're in a position now where we need a little bit of that thinking, especially as AI develops as rapidly as, as it is. But I was just going to say that. What would he say about AI? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you invent say, AI, run, you run turn into far, Terminator. run fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you invent um, AI, you invent the Terminator. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, for us, especially right now, right, people are doing things they've not done before. They're trying new things. And, and I think it's always a good thought exercise to think things through in terms of what the consequences are. Like what is – and sometimes that those are positive consequences in, in the case of where um, some of our properties have stopped doing um, breakfast buffets and started offering a smaller, appropriately sized meal for breakfast – and now people are actually spending more money for lunch on property. So that that's a that's a shipwreck that's actually a positive thing, right? That's an outcome that you wasn't anticipated, but but actually is good. But for every one of those, there's probably a dozen of, of the reverse where you try to do something with all good intentions and yet a, a negative consequence comes from it. So I like this one. I think it's it's very um, prophetic in terms of just a cautionary tale to think through before before you do something. Well, and, and if I can add to this, you know, specifically, uh, no one has been a bigger advocate or optimist uh, around digital and the benefits of digital and the like uh, than I have been throughout the course of my career. I mean, I am I am very pro how digital helps us do a better job for our customers, how they help us build our businesses more effectively. So this one, one of the reasons it appeals to me is it's a reminder to me, too, that, you know, there are more upsides than downsides, but make sure you're conscious of the downsides. Make sure you're thinking about what those downsides might be and planning ahead for them so that, you know, if in fact they come to pass, you're not caught completely flat-footed by them, right? And it's just a good way to think about any of this to say, 
you know, when Expedia comes along, man, this is great. They're going to bring me a lot of revenue and this is going to be fantastic. Oh, wait, now am I going to be dependent on them for too much of my revenue? And that's mm -hmm. actually a downside, right? It's the same thing. Now we're talking about Google kind of entering into that same place. Think about what are those unintended consequences mm -hmm. and how do you make sure you're putting yourself in a good position? I think, yeah. I think you can extend this guy's quote uh, a bit in saying, you know, for every shipwreck, then there are 10 treasure hunters who are helping you fix the shipwreck. So be wary of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I'm looking at it from a, just from a, a, from a Corona perspective, you, everyone was very excited when the Paycheck Protection Program came out. But tied to that was the unemployment, $600 per week. So everyone had, you know, the ability to protect their staff and take care of their resorts but then all of a sudden you couldn't get any of the service people to come back to work because everyone ended up in some cases at least in in our area making more not working than they did working so that's been an ongoing struggle that we're seeing on our side and i think everything from a from a corona perspective is there was a massive shift if the corona was a shipwreck or the corona was just the new thing that we all have to deal with we're gonna have to work through a lot of these little shipwrecks, like the, uh, you know, unemployment compensation from the government reducing staff coming back to requiring masks to all these different things. And so, being nimble and understanding that we are in change gives you a leg up on adapting to it. For sure. Alrighty. Well, let's move on. We're gonna do three and four together because they they kind of they they this similar context to to these. These are just good advice and, and it's really about questioning conventional wisdom because a lot of people come up with snappy quotes like people like Tim Peter right and they become <laughs> conventional wisdom and, and just because people are saying it and repeating it and you hear it it doesn't always mean it's true right so I think these next two really get to the heart of that that it, it it's it's not necessarily just because the conventional wisdom is X that you have to follow that. Sometimes truth lies in a different path for you, or, or, or sometimes this opportunity lies in a in a different path. So let's let's do number three, 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 and number four. So number three is you know there are no millennials; they're adults under forty. And number four is it's not mobile first; it's guest first. Yeah. So I love these, right? Because the first one, the millennials, gets to the heart of something, which is. We, we as marketers have created this, this narrative that millennials are this evil um, group of human beings that are <laughs> going to destroy the world and that they don't behave anything like anything we've ever seen before. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but I've seen that, that it begin to turn and, and you could take the same article that was written five years ago and replace the word millennial with Gen Z or, or Zuma, which is the new term that I love that people have started using. Um, just replace yeah. millennial with Zuma, and you have the same article, right? It, it's not necessarily that these were people that that are so different other than the fact that they're guilty of being younger than us. And reminding people that they're under 40. You know, they, they actually become, the oldest become 40 this year, right? So it's exactly next year. I have to update this quote. To, you know, they're adults under 41, but that doesn't not quite as pithy. Under. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing about 
millennials is we often talk about them and you said it exactly right, Stuart, you know, that they're like some other species or, and you frequently hear people talk about millennials like they're kids. They're not mm-hmm. kids. They're, mm-hmm. they're adults and they're not even young adults at this point. They are rapidly approaching middle age. You know, there are some facts about them that are true. They do tend to be poorer at their current age than pre prior generations were at the same ages. That's not their fault. That's the reality of the world they became adults in, right? So Mm -hmm. it's just thinking about the fact of what is distinct about them because of their situation and where are they otherwise, you know, just like folks who are reaching young, excuse me, middle adulthood and the like and starting to have families and do all the things that people have always done. Yeah, I feel like that's the first time someone told me I was about to be middle-aged, but Thanks, Tim. <laughs> hey, 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 I have bad news for you. It just gets worse from there, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's always that token I'm, millennial. I'm Gen X. Nobody gives a nobody gives a crap about the Gen Xers. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> like we always say, Phil, the most important thing you can do is if that's your your lot, just lean into it. Exactly you know, right. Get always. some balances and, and make that your thing. <laughs> so, so, so I have some great advice for anyone that has Generation Z or Zoomers in their household, right? Because these are the new problematic generation, right? They're the younger people that we understand less than millennials. And, you know, it, it's died down a little bit, but you know the phrase, okay, boomer, that came out for, for, for a while. And um, this is what my kids used on me all the time, was anything I said that was they didn't understand or made me seem old, they'd be like, okay, boomer. Even though I'm Gen X, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it was a dig at me just being old, and it became a meme, and it was everywhere over the internet. So anytime now my kids do anything that's a little bit stupid or I don't understand or if they question me being an adult, I say, okay, Zuma, and it, <laughs> it, it infuriates them. It makes them so good, and it ends every argument we've ever had. So even if they say, okay, Boomer, I can just throw back an okay, Zuma, and it completely negates what they did. You so, win. Yeah, it, it's an automatic win of every argument you ever have with a Generation Z. And if you use it on a millennial, I haven't tried it on a millennial yet, but it might work too because, you know, millennials hate Zoomers almost as much as everyone else hated millennials. So maybe even more. So there's your advice for today. So let, let's touch on that second one. It's it's not mobile first, it's guest first. So this this is one that you hear all the time, mobile first, mobile first. We've probably all been guilty of saying this at some point on this show or in presentations or in blog posts. But you're right. It isn't about being mobile first. Mobile mobile is where people are today, right? And, and as you say, Tim, frequently, mobile is a situation. And it's just a situation that people find themselves in more today than they did in the past. So it's always about guest first. Yeah, I think we're... You know, we we think about the screen. We often put more in front of the person who we're actually trying to talk to, right? Screen size is something that's going to move around a lot over the next bunch of years, in all likelihood. You know, I'm I, not for sure about this, but you know, whether it's people using glasses, whether it's people using their watch, whether it's people using a, a mobile device, whether it's people using a tablet, whether they're using a desktop-sized device, whether they're using you know a TV-sized device. It, the screen size is just an element. What's really more important is what are the questions they have? What, where are they in that context? Where are they in that situation? And how do you address their needs at that moment? And I think we're living that right now. I mean, if you look at the questions people have right now with coronavirus, they might be doing them on their phone because they might be sitting on their couch, but they're not out and about in a mobile context the way they were 
you know, six months ago, right? So it's just a question of, are we actually still helping them and helping them along their journey, regardless of the screen that they happen to be looking at while they do it? And one, one of the things about this situation with so many people working from home is we've actually seen some shifts in the the breakdown between mobile and desktop traffic. Yeah. You know, tra- desktop yeah. has taken a little bit or seen a little growth over the last few months because people yeah. are sitting there at work. So, um, yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's, it's thinking about who your consumer is and, and what's the best way to reach them and communicate with them. Always, always guest first. Well, that, that it always goes back to the, the first quote from Tim that we talked about where it's device type is king, content is king. <laughs> or, wait a minute, that's not it. As long as you stick to content is king, I think everything will work out fine because it doesn't matter how they're consuming it. If, if your information is junk, they're not going to be on your device regardless of device type. And if it's fantastic, they're going to make sure they can digest it. Well, and since Stuart brought up the the fact of, you know, mobile is a situation, another thing I, I say from time to time, you know, the, the point there is that mobile, when we think about it, the way we ought to think about mobile a lot of the time is, is the person on the go? Are they on the move, right? If I'm walking down a street or I'm running through an airport or things like that, you know, I always make the joke about, you know, I'm holding the phone in one hand, I'm dragging a suitcase in another hand. If I'm traveling with my family, I'm trying to keep my, uh, you know, my hand on a kid with another hand. Oh, wait a second. I've run out of hands pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So what I need mobile to do for me in that situation is different than if I'm sitting on my couch and I happen to be looking at images of a place I might want to travel while I'm watching a TV show, right? So the situation comes into play there. But again, it comes back to what is the need of the the guest at that moment more so than what device are they using to actually accomplish that. Great. All right, let's move on to number five and six. So these ones are more about how you approach things. And and we kind of touched on these a, a little bit and I foreshadowed one of them specifically <laughs> earlier on, but when you're thinking about content being king, like what is your mindset? How should you approach the type of content that you're you're creating? So this is five, 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 and six, five, 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 six, 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 six. So number five is content should be snackable, shareable, and sharp. And number six is personalization starts with a person. So when I talk about content being snackable, shareable, and sharp. What I mean is, you know, let's start with sharp first. Get to the point. What is the point you're trying to make? What is the thing you're trying to help your customer do? What is the thing they're trying to do? Make it as as plain as you can. Make it as obvious as you can because they don't have a lot of time on their hands. Snackable comes back to that same fact of put it in a way that people can consume it when they're on the go. So if I am, in fact, running through an airport or I'm sitting in my car waiting to pick up one of my kids from soccer practice or something along those lines, can I find the information I need quickly and easily consume it, digest it, and then move on with the rest of my day? And of course, shareable literally is just what it says on the tin, right? Did I make it easy for people to share that content? Now that has two elements to it. The first is when I say shareable, it has to have the mechanics of it. Is there a share button near to my headline? Will it fit in a tweet? Will it fit into a Facebook post easily? And then secondly, would anyone care to share it? (laughs) Right? Why would somebody give them? Uh, 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 rats patootie about whether or not they should share this. What makes them care? What what you, you know drives their emotion around it? So that's what we mean by snackable, shareable, and sharp. 
Yeah, one of the words that, that was used a lot, I haven't heard it so much recently, but it was kind of the, the word du jour a while back was remarkable, right? Your content should be yeah. remarkable in, in, in both senses of that. Like pe- it's, it stands out, but also it's something people want to remark on as well. And I think that's the, the context at which I read that shareable. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that's really, exactly right. it's really uh, simple when you kind of break it down that way. And it makes me wonder, boys, why our podcast is so long at getting to the point. But hey, <laughs> I was going to say, so the opposite of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but at least our podcast notes are snackable, shareable, and shareable. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> But we do do a better better job of the second part. The personalization starts with a person. Well, and you do break your podcast. Let me now. Don't don't you know? Be mean to yourself. You do break your podcast up into segments, and so each of those segments is very snackable, very shareable, very sharp. See, this is true. There you go. I, See, it, I'm a marketer. I can always put a happy face on. It's just spinning. You make us feel better. All right. So so unpack the the second one for me. The personalization starts with a person. I think this is the one, and and it you know. It, we talked earlier on Lauren's show about email marketing and um, Adele asked the question about um, how many times should I email a guest? And, and so we went off into the conversation about, you know, well, it depends, right? That's probably not the right question to be asking. It's, it's more about what am I sending and then what's the value in what I'm sending to that, that person? Because really I can send as many times as they want me to, as long as it's valuable to them in, in how people make the mistake of looking at a 10,000, um, person database as let me try to get a 20% open rate and a 4% click through rate and I'm going to make this many reservations from that versus thinking about that's 10,000 individual human beings that each have individual thoughts and feelings and needs that you should be addressing individually with every every conversation you have with them and I think that's lost completely by a lot of bad marketers I, I mean, you summed that up perfectly, Stuart. Literally, all I can say to that is, yep. <laughs> right? Like, one of, the, one of the worst things we do as marketers uh, sometimes, and, and I've been guilty of this myself over the course of my career many times, you know, is we talk about things like targeting, you know? <laughs> right? We're targeting these people. We're putting a bullseye on them instead of saying, hey, this is a human being who I want to have a conversation with, and I would like they would they would like to have I would like it if they would like to have a conversation with me. You know, right. you said a moment ago a perfect word that I think we need to focus on more, which is valuable and valuable to the guest, valuable yeah. to the customer. We're in the hospitality business. Our job is to make people feel welcome and warm and comfortable. And then we blast them with, uh, you know, whatever, whatever channel du jour we can possibly can so we can target them and blast them and all this stuff. And I'm like, that seems fairly militaristic and rude and anti-hospitality. Now it doesn't mean you shouldn't email them. It just means make sure you're emailing them something valuable. Make sure you're emailing them something they will find useful. Make it snackable and shareable and sharp and something they will care about because then there's a much better odds that they will actually stay on your list, open the thing, click through and book because this looks like people who I want to do business with as opposed to people who are pummeling me with messages every chance they get because they can, not because it provides value to me as the guest. You know, I also think it comes down to lazy marketing because right now, and, and we've talked a lot about AI, obviously you've talked a ton about AI on on your podcast, but AI gives us the opportunity to very granularly personalize a message to everybody in your database. And you're not necessarily saying I have a hundred thousand people. You're saying I have these, this many customers who 
I need to speak to now. The ones that just stayed at my property, I need to have on a different communication plan and go from there. But if you're just blasting out to your full database, you're not even using the tools that you most likely already have. That's and right. I think that's where just learning your platforms is going to be a big benefit. Or, or not even just blasting it out per se, but you know, when are your people interacting with you and your messaging like from an email perspective? We know when people open email addresses, so we create a segment that you know we reach them when they want to be reached. Um, I think I think that type of stuff fits fits perfectly with this personalization starts with a person. Know know the person and reach them when they want to be reached. Well, you know, and one thing we're always talking about when we're with talking with new clients or people who are coming on board from a email marketing perspective is making sure you have that stay anniversary message where you're messaging them based on when they would typically book their next day to to warm them up to proactively get them to stay. And in most hotels are this is a fantastic idea. Why didn't we do this before? And a lot of it it's relatively basic in that you should be thinking about how can I automate my my messaging so everybody's getting messages with the content they want when they want it. And that's and that's really what it is. Yeah. And that, that's really important. It, it, it's funny because I think people conflate technology in in how the tool is used a lot. And and you hit it earlier when you said about it's bad marketers, right? Because there's a lot of good email tools out there. I mean, I think you know, Fuel has one, but there's a lot of others out there. And some of them do a really good job of allowing you to segment and send out specific drip campaigns to individual groups of people. But Lily Mockerman was on Lauren's show earlier today, and she was giving an example of a property that she had stayed at that had her email address and had tagged her into multiple segments. So she was a business traveler, and she may have also had an interest in something. Maybe she'd been to the spa or something. I don't remember what the segments were specifically, but she was in three different segments within their database. So every two weeks, she would get three emails from them within a couple oh, of no. weeks. Right? <laughs> because what the, what the marketer's doing is, hey, I'm targeting my audience. I'm segmenting people. And here my business travelers get this message. And in their mind, they're doing a great job marketing. They're doing everything the professionals tell them to do by personalizing the content. But they're forgetting that personalization starts with a person in that Lily was in multiple segments and now she has a terrible experience because she's getting three very different emails with different conflicting messages at about the same time every two weeks. Where if you step back and say, okay, this person either should only get one of those segments, whichever is our biggest priority, or we can spread those out, that's a much better experience. And that's a perfect example of what this means, right? Yeah. You shouldn't be talking about, you know, your prospect. You shouldn't be talking about your target. You shouldn't be talking about your segment. You should be talking about Lily. What is Lily's need, right? Lily would agree with that in, in every discussion <laughs> ever. You should be talking about Lily. <laughs> perfect. All right. So let's move on to the last one. And by no means is this least but i think this this is something really important that i want everyone to to take home really and take it to the bank because we did a study with stay in touch and review pro about a month or so ago and one of the biggest insights that came out of it you know we asked several questions but we we asked questions about confidence of recovery and how long that would take and, and you know it was a it was a mixed bag but we also asked about preparedness and do you have a strategy and 
there was a direct difference. The people that had a strategy were the ones that were more confident of, of recovery. The people that had no strategy were the people that were very pessimistic and didn't feel like we were going to get through this in, in any survivable way. So without further ado, number seven, 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 seven. And number seven is hope is not a business strategy. And I always want to be really careful when I talk about this one because you must have hope. You must see a future vision. You must have a future vision of where you want things to go. And also you have to recognize that, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping for the best is is not a plan, is not a strategy, right? You've got to hope for the best and plan for the worst to make sure you're in a good position to, to get through whatever we need to get through right now and however long that lasts. And then also have a positive vision of where you're trying to get to. Yeah, you got to be planning right now. And like I said earlier, it, it's you're on a different planet promoting a different <laughs> property to a different audience. And you, the, the strategy or the plan you had, the playbook you had last year, this does not make any sense anymore. So you've got to start from the ground up. The best way to begin that is, is one, to communicate with lots of people. And that, that includes, you know, other properties in similar situations to you. Tap into resources like HSMAI and other groups that are offering lots and lots of webinars and educational sessions. But more importantly, talk to your coworkers, the ones that are left. And I get it. You're overworked. You're overstretched. And there may be not many of you left. But the ones that are there, they're all rooting for success. They're all rooting for you guys to come through this. And the more you work together collaboratively on the same scorecard with the same plan or the same approach, the better you're going to come out of it. So sit down, find some time, even if it's at, you know after hours, but engage. If you're in marketing, engage your revenue team. If you're, you're in revenue, engage your sales team. You guys have to be working as a con con cohesive unit on a cohesive strategy right now. If you don't, it's going to be a lot harder than if you do. So... That that's that's maybe one positive that's coming out of all this is I am seeing more collaboration within organizations. For sure, there's there, for sure for sure there there's this great quote that I love. Um, oh no no Jim's... no, we're not doing quotes on this show. Sorry, we we done. <laughs> we only had seven. We're, we're at our quota. We get it quota. Oh, sorry, carry on Tim. No, there's this great quote from Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was the highest ranking uh, prisoner of war during the Vietnam War. And, uh, you know, they looked at people who made it through these really harrowing situations. And he he was this guy who said, you know, we had unbelievable uh, hope for the future. And also we understood the reality of the situation. And they found, you know, in doing studies that those were the people who tended to do best in those crises. You know, Jim Stockdale's quote was, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be, right? Mm -hmm. Things are tough right now. That is a fact. We have to confront those. And we also have to have hope. And when you put those together, that's where you actually, you know, you actually come out in the best possible outcomes, right? So hope is not a business strategy. It is what you have to keep your eye on while you also confront the reality of, hey, this is where travel is right now. And who do I have to talk to? And who do I have to work with? And how do we work together to actually address the reality of our situation? Yeah. And at the risk of sounding like every commercial ever on TV right now, now more than ever, this, this is... <laughs> You know, now more than ever, we need to pay attention to this one. 
Yeah, this isn't going away. Um, I think I think we all know that. So, you know, we've said it in multiple multiple podcasts before. Create yourself a recovery plan. Understand what you're going to need to do to survive uh, as best you can. Have a plan in place. Make sure everyone's on the same page, and follow that recovery plan. And you're much much more likely to succeed. Yeah, it's not the time to bury your head in the sand and hope. Like, be be creative. Like I said, if you if you were coming into a new position, even if this is a, a hotel you've worked at for thirty years, right, and you know everything about it, forget. You know, in the words of Master Yoda, the greatest philosopher and most quotable person since Tim <laughs> Peter, unlearn what you have learned. Come into this like this is your first day on the job, and approach it with fresh eyes and look at every problem without any assumptions from your past. Like if you do that, you're going to come up with a better path forward than if you keep trying to continue on the path you were on or tweak the path you had. You got to you got to rethink. Start from the ground up. If if you were opening this business for the first time, you'd never had business before, what would you do? Cuz if you're a hotel that was reliant on uh conventions or conferences or business travel, unfortunately, we're not going to see that come back for at least another six months, you know, in any meaningful, relevant way to to succeed as a business. You've got to start again and say, who is traveling? Who can I convince to travel? And how can I do it in a way that's responsible for them and for my staff? And how can I do that as cost-effectively as possible? Where should I be spending every dollar? That that's That's the job in front of you. It's not an easy job, but I promise you this, if you put the effort in, the rewards will come. You will come out of this stronger. You will come out of this with, with more market share. And when coronavirus is over, which it will be at some point, you're going to be very thankful that you put the work in now. And you're going to be a better person, a more employable person, and a more successful person for it. So there. So Tim, thank you for sharing your, your quotes with us, your quotables. I almost called Thank the episode Quotable much. Potables. I don't know. <laughs> well, I do have a glass of bourbon right here. Oh, wait. No, no. I wouldn't do that. No, Pete, Pete's got a big so hat. Much for having so. me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you having me. It's, it's been a lot of fun. All right. So as as we uh, as we promised at the start of the, the episode last week, if you listen all the way to the end, past the end credits, we'd started talking before the end of the show about Phil's uh, addiction <laughs> that he has. <laughs> <laughs> to these frozen sandwiches that are just weird and disgusting. Um, They're and delicious. Only, and only intended for four-year-olds. <laughs> but we got into a debate, a raging debate about jellies and jams. And Melissa speculated that it was something to do with sugar. She, she said maybe jellies have high fructose corn syrup instead of sugar and jams have sugar. And we got talking about marmalades. And you know, I, I think one of us brought up the point that I think marmalades is citrus and maybe has the rind in it as well. So we, we were a bunch of idiots. We, we, we <laughs> didn't have a clue what we were talking about. So I wanted to set the record straight for all those that were wondering. So, so Pete, or no, actually Phil, you do this cause you started the debate. You want to give us a rundown of the differences between these. So let's start with jelly. What is jelly? Jelly is what's found in the middle of an Uncrustable, and it is delicious. <laughs> it is. So, so one thing that you're going to find, it's the, the common thread between all these, is sugar. So jelly contains sugar and fruit juice. 
Yeah. So just the juice of a fruit. It doesn't have any of the bits of fruit in it. Right. So that is jelly. So just sugar and fruit juice. That is your jelly. Your jam is chopped or pu- pureed fruit and sugar. So, so this that's does why you have... get seeds and things like that in, in jam. And then we have chutney. Which you Which argued last week up. was not in the same family. And I am pleased to say that you are wrong. It is in the same uh, family. I thought Chutney so. was the girl who shot her father in uh, Legally Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know about Chutney. And Legally chutney, Blonde. Uh, it is chopped or pureed fruit plus sugar and vinegar and spices. Yeah. So it's basically jam with vinegar and spices. Okay. Who would have known that, huh? Not right. us, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So then we move on to preserves. What are preserves? Preserves have whole fruit or fruit chunks and sugar. So this is like a chunkier jam. Yeah. And then marmalade. This was this was marmalade. a this was a raging debate right here. What marmalade? Marmalade is. purely for trying to attract bears. I thought. Paddington. I think he uh, likes strawberry. I think he just started another debate. I'm pretty sure Paddington was a was a strawberry jam guy, man. I don't think he was a marmalade guy. I don't know enough about Paddington. I'm going to have to Google that one, too. All right, keep going. Marmalade is whole citrus, either chopped or left intact, and sugar. So it's citrus fruit. So it's essentially a, a type of jam, you know? What everybody thinks of. It's an orange. So all marmalades are jams, but not all jams are, excuse me, all marmalades are preserves, but not all preserves are marmalades. Yeah, well, so not necessarily, because it's not necessarily (sighs) a whole fruit, right? It could be a puree. So marmalades are either jams or 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 preserves, preserves, Yeah, but not all preserves or jams are marmalades. Yes. I'm not Venn diagram. I'm totally good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know about you guys, right. but I'm going to go have some toast now. <laughs> well, we got one what more you before you do. Oh, we got one more. We have. Yeah, so we, we forgot about compotes. Compotes are very important oh. in the same family. Apparently. So compotes are whole fruit or fruit chunks and sugar, but it's usually eaten immediately and not preserved. Mm. Mm. So this is that? what's what's fresh on your dinner, apparently, because yeah, that's what I see on menus on all it. the time. Here's a compote, and I just thought that was a fancy word for we threw some jelly on it. That's right. So what came <laughs> first, the compote or the Millennials preserve? are still eating Uncrustables. Hey, <laughs> Uncrustables are delicious, and anyone who thinks they're not, I, you're you're just too old. Okay, Zoomer. <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, if it's too loud, you're too old. Uh, okay, Zoomer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think the big one, the raging debate that you can have when we're actually allowed to to socialize again is jelly is fruit juice and sugar and jam is chopped fruit or pureed fruit and sugar. Those are the those are the big two, I think. But hey, if you learn nothing else from this this show, you just learned about And <laughs> I'm going to be very fruit. very sad. <laughs> well, Tim, if they do want to learn more of from you and your wisdom, I, I swear to God that I learn something every single episode that you push out on your podcast, and then I totally steal it and go pretend that it was my original yeah. thought in a client meeting within the next day or so. So thank you for that. You're the gift that keeps on giving. That's very kind of you. We hear it all the time, Tim. 
That's <laughs> oh, very, very kind. I'll, I'll try to say something really smart and insightful, and then be like, "You got that from Tim." <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much. All right, so Tim, if they want to find you or the the wonderful show that you have, where can they do that? Uh, you can find everything you want on timpeter.com and timpeter.com slash podcast is the link to the podcast. Awesome. And Pete, if they want to learn more about you and how you murder bees occasionally, where can they do that? They can do that on Twitter at pdimeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And if they want to send you hate mail, Phil, about Uncrustables, where can they do that? <laughs> Or my fellow Uncrustable fans out there, because I, I know you're out there. You can find me on Twitter at P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A, P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A or uh, LinkedIn works also. Cool. You can find me at Stuart Butler on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel, the mothership where you can get everything Fuel Travel related. Learn about our awesome CRM product if you want to send emails properly, our contactless mobile check-in app, or our super mobile-friendly booking engine. You can do that at fueltravel.com. You can also get the notes to today's show, including the quotes from Tim, uh, at fueltravel.com slash podcast, and you can click on episode 159. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm going to have to send you a link, by the way. There was a fascinating article that was going around the other day about uh, now that they're restarting basketball, the NBA, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are apparently like the biggest addiction among NBA players. They eat a couple before games and at halftime and stuff like that because a lot of sugar, a lot of protein, uh, some carbs that they can burn off, and they love them. Bet you all the All-Stars eat Uncrustables. <laughs> <laughs>